Welcome to The Coaching Cast, your working from home managers club, here to check in with you weekly to share your working highs and lows, remind you that you're not alone and that there's many of us outside of your current four walls, all trying to be the best coach, leader, manager and human being that we can be. I'm Lisa, founder of Grip Corporate Coaching, personal performance coach, leader and chief eye roller when it comes to all nonsensical corporate mumbo jumbo which suffocates rather than advocates. And I'm Susie, sales and business coach at Future You Business Coaching, currently taking on my hardest coaching assignment to date, parenting a toddler who doesn't take too kindly to being questioned. In this podcast we aim to explore the leadership and coaching techniques required to navigate and survive the current business environment. Each week we present different topics which we will discuss with some special guests along the way sharing our ideas hints and tips for you to take away and try for yourself we hope you enjoy listening in today's episode we're really excited to be discussing transitions with a very special guest joanne wheatley master accredited coach and coach trainer joint founder of In Good Company and the European Mentoring and Coaching Council's Coach of the Year 2020. So stay with us and enjoy. Before we welcome Joanne onto the show and get stuck into today's episode on transitions, how are you, Suze? Hello. Uh, Yes, I'm all good. Thank you very much. Um, I've had a pretty non-eventful week, which as any listeners will know in my life, um, I'll absolutely (laughs) take, that's for sure. Um, It's been a a pretty uh, wet and windy uh, one this week as well. The weather's been horrendous, which um, if anyone who uh, is a parent, a toddler aged child will know it's an absolute nightmare trying to entertain them whilst it's peeing down with rain um so at the weekend I made well at the time I thought was um, a good idea so you know when you kind of follow all these like mum influences on Instagram and you think yeah I need to do I need to do more like crafts and art and fun things like that uh, with my little boy so I had this brainwave that um, we would do some baking because it was raining um, so I took it back to the first lockdown of 2020 because I decided that we would make a banana loaf and I'm not a brilliant cook I'd say I'm a moderate cook and I'm certainly not any form of pro baker, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, I won't be appearing on Bake Off anytime soon. Um, so I thought, I know, well, I'll entertain him with doing some baking. Well, it was absolute carnage. It was the worst idea I've ever had in my entire life, let alone parenting career. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it with an 18-month-old. He basically um, ate two bananas when I wasn't looking um, <laughs> meant to go into the banana loaf legend um <laughs> couldn't wait and then I turned around and again he had his fingers in like the butter so he had the buttery fingers and then he was like smearing it all over the countertop um it was honestly one of the most stressful things I've ever done with him um and I will not 
be repeating this activity anytime soon until maybe he's a little bit older until he's older yeah I think I was I maybe was a little bit naive in thinking that um it was something he was old enough to do but I was kind of getting desperate because I'd run out of activities and things to entertain him in this horrible weather um so then he was high as a kite because he'd had two bananas so he was (laughs) running around whilst I was trying to finish off this flipping banana loaf um which yeah so bit annoying um <laughs> so did you actually manage to bake a banana loaf I did and did so it have any banana in it it had probably not a correct amount of banana <laughs> but it had an element of banana in it and did it and taste I, nice it was actually all right well, when, I, when I got out yeah winner um and I threw some chocolate chips in there so oh you, nice yeah you know who do enjoy baking there's a little uh Top tip. top tip for there you there. Okay. Top tip there. Should we stick on the whiteboard at the end? Top tip for your banana <laughs> loaf this week. Throw in the chocolate chips. Banana and chocolate are such a good mix as well. One of my favourite things is, yeah. well, banoffee pie, but actually that's more caramel. But either way, it's got some chocolate yeah. in there somewhere. Oh, excellent. Well, good for you. Glad to see it wasn't a complete disaster, but and that you still had stressful. a cake at the end of it. It does sound stressful. Oh, mine wasn't that stressful then. Um I don't know how you do it with a toddler, especially if it's raining. I mean, it's bad enough when the dog's looking at me wanting to go outside. And I actually <laughs> did take him outside and we both got drenched. But I felt pretty smug because I thought, what a great dog mum I am because I've taken him out and I've still looked <laughs> after him in the wet. Uh, but no, I, the, what my, one of the most exciting things I started the last week was I started watching Line of Duty from the first season. <laughs> yes! So I felt like I was missing out and I felt, you know, I'm terrible for, I'm such a yeah. joiner and I, I have a fear of missing out, FOMO. I felt everyone talking about the final episodes of season six, is it? last yeah, week season six um, yeah so I was I was like right I need to get into this so I started watching it from series one so I'm on series two now with Keely Hawes who's like one of my favorite actresses yeah she's brilliant she is terrifying I'm literally I'm only on like episode I think I've just finished episode two and I'm like I don't trust her she's she's and she's too smart that one so yeah that was that was the most exciting thing for me last week so no middle age um food conundrums or building stresses for me last week just line of duty everyone I've started it I get it AC12 not sure at the moment whether I'm on AC12 side or not I don't like this whole concept of being spied on by your colleagues that's weird but hey it's entertaining watching so shall we get cracking with today's episode and welcome our exciting guest let's go awesome So our special guest today is Joanne Wheatley, Master Accredited Coach and Coach Trainer, Joint Founder of In Good Company and the European Mentoring and Coaching Council's Coach of the Year 2020. Joanne has experienced a varied career beginning with a degree in law, followed by a variety of roles in HR, including HR Director and Fellow of the CIPD, and more recently with her own coaching business In Good Company, which trains coaches and ILM and EMCC accredited coaching qualifications, providing a supportive learning community through both the teaching and their Facebook group, The Coaching Crowd. Joanne discovered coaching through her own personal experience of being coached and found that it was a natural progression from HR, fulfilling her expectations of what HR should be about. In her own words, I had always been fascinated by human behaviour and knew from my experience in HR that we needed to invest in mental health within the workplace. Many people are lonely and feel insecure despite their achievements. I found constant restructures, disciplinaries and grievances got in the way of my true passion, which is enabling people to live their best life. 
10 years on and Joanne continues to live this passion with the many clients she supports. Welcome Joe, to the coaching class. We're absolutely thrilled and privileged to have you join us today. That's great. Well, strange hearing, hearing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I did you justice. There was so much to share. So it was a matter of me going, oh my gosh, I, I've got such a responsibility to pick out the best bits when there's so many best bits. <laughs> That's because I sent you a long, unedited thing. To do <laughs> well, I, we ho- had- I hope that was fine. <laughs> We had lots to work with, so thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So we're focusing our discussion today with you around the subject of transitions. And I thought it'd be a really great place to start is actually you sharing your own personal transition from HR to coaching. So what triggered this and what's your experience of the change from HR to coaching? Yeah, I think you gave the highlights of it in the introduction, really. Um, But... um, I was in HR, so I knew of coaching, and I think I only knew of coaching because I was in the HR profession. And then I brought a coach into the organization where I was working as a HR director. I had some coaching, and I just remember thinking, this is this is what I thought HR was when I came into the profession, you know, that it's about holding that safe space for somebody else and enabling them to identify and realize their potential. And I thought, I want more of this. How, how can I get more of it? And I was lucky enough to um, be able to be supported through my coaching qualification. And I looked for a coaching qualification that was underpinned by a whole range of psychologies. And the other part of it was that I'd worked in the private, the public and the third sector. And in each of those um, organisations, people would say to me, Joe, how come everybody comes and talks to you and they go away feeling better? And then after the third time, like in the third different place, I thought there's something in this that I'm that I need to really think about. And when I sat down and thought, what is it that I, that I that I do? I realised I I don't know because I'm just being me. And whilst on the one hand that's good if it's you know if there are good outcomes, there is the risk that I could cause harm, and I didn't want to cause harm. And also I thought if this is a natural strength and how do I nurture it because this is something that actually I enjoy as well and so that's why I started to train to be a coach Um, and on top of that I had my first child so 2009 yeah that's right it's confusing in 2009 I had my first child and I was working part-time in the role and I was just getting a bit tired at that point of constant reorganizations and disciplinaries and grievances, the more transactional kind of side of HR. And because I was in a generalist role as a HR director, and I thought, you know, when my, I knew I wanted to work, but when my son asked me the question, which he he never really has, but in my (laughs) mind, he was going to ask me the question, mom, why do you go to work? Why don't you spend time with me? I, I felt like for me to feel comfortable with that, it needed to be what I do now, which is that I help people to be the best that they can be. And I feel comfortable with that. And also I get to use my, I suppose my coaching training has influenced my parenting style. And I renew that I wanted to bring my children up to believe that anything is possible. So they might be academic, they might be, um, you know, more um, vocational, they might be entrepreneurial, like, whatever that that, you know they are whatever their natural talent is so that was also that was all happening around that time basically 
And my experience of the change um, was, you know, it's exciting, but I never thought I'd have my own business ever. I just did not, it's not one of those things I grew up like and aspired to have. So it was a bit scary, but then because I set a business up with my, you know, with my best friend, it was less scary. Um, I think I felt proud that I was doing it. It's all a bit surreal, really. Mm. Um, all of the emotions, because, you know, we expect, we all experience all of them. Um, and I remember being stood in my kitchen um, in, in our old house, not the house that we're in now. And we got our first piece of work, which actually came out of, it was an e designing e-learning um, <laughs> around coaching and mentoring it, or it's actually a management development toolkit um, for, a, for a large organization. And it came out of being sat at this sort of mini conference. And I was like, they haven't got anything on, you know, the people side of stuff. So I approached them and we had a conversation. Anyway, I remember being stood in the kitchen and we got this contract, this piece of work confirmed and doing a little dance in the kitchen and thinking, oh my goodness, like we're off the, you know, we're off the starting blocks. And I'll always remember that. And I remember what deciding on the company name in good company. I remember I was walking up the stairs and, and just my, because we had an open plan lounge and then like just looking down to my husband and saying, in good company. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. yeah it was like that you know that that was it so there are, there are certain key moments um you know that I remember so like any change you've got to work out what you're saying goodbye to and you need to honor like everything I think you know that's got you to that place yeah um and you need to unhook yourself if you like from that and allow yourself then to be you know to welcome what's going to come next mm -hmm. not all going to be roses yeah. Um, you know, the, there, there will be challenges along the way. So, yeah, that's, you know, my transition was all of, all of those things. And to a certain extent, I, I think we're, well, we are constantly transitioning. Like there's not these fixed pieces because I sit here now, 10 years on in the business, had an amazing time, um, you know, peaks and troughs and, you know, had to have to adapt and be agile in the business. And, you think about COVID and, you know, what that's meant for people in business, including myself and how we've had to pivot, taking all of our stuff online. A lot of it was, but there was, a, there was certain, our coaching training wasn't. And we're continuing, we're future focused. So I think that means we are always in transition. Mm. It's, it's a fascinating um, story, I think, that actually I always expect to hear more of the movement from HR to coaching, because I think from an outsider looking in, for me, that's always felt quite obvious. And mm -hmm. actually the way you describe what your expectation of what HR was going to be and actually the reality of what it is, mm -hmm. I think is often at times um, my assumption as well. And as I've grown through my career and through businesses, I've recognized that's not the case. Mm -hmm. what, what did being a coach enable you to do differently or even more than compared to what you're able to do in HR? I think when I was in HR, I suppose, you know, each HR, each individual are different, is different. Mm. So whatever they bring to the HR role is different. Um, so I had my own flavor of that, which was around, 
you know, those spaces, I'm quite strategic in my thinking. So obviously I played that role, often was referred to as a thought leader, like a bit ahead of, I could, you know, I can sort of see what I think is going to come. So I think I was sometimes, was often further ahead than the organisations that I was working in, which meant that I had to really advocate. And, you know, I might not be able to get them to exactly, you know, where I thought, but I could help to edge the organisations forward and create that change. But being in um, coaching, uh, so coaching clients means that I get to draw on all of those natural um, strengths. And my role is first and foremost to be curious, to create a safe space for other people. And I love that that's my job. Mm. I think it's just the absolute best job in the world. It's such a privilege. My husband's gone through a, a career transition um, himself in the last couple of years. And I, you know, he, I think he struggled beforehand to think about, so I wanna find a job that I love like you love yours. Um, so it enables me to, I don't have to be apologetic. I don't need to feel guilty for, like that being, ev you know, everything that I do and mm. I get to be strategic, you know, in the questions that I, that I ask clients, you know, I'm, I'm looking for their strengths. I'm looking for what are the gaps I'm looking, I'm listening to the language that they use. I'm really trying to understand where they are now and really help them understand what are the small or the significant changes that they want to make in their lives and, and, you know, work with them in terms of you know their here and now their future and also going back into the into the past and I think um yeah I think a lot of it actually is guilt I don't feel guilty mm. I don't I don't need to feel like oh I'm the one that's being unnecessarily thoughtful about other people <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the way I describe it is a gender because actually everything you've described in in just in that moment is about totally focusing on the individual and their wants, their passions, their desires, their needs, the way they want to be, which I think always in a, a business context when you're working for somebody else, and this isn't just applicable to HR, I think it's applicable to all roles. Yeah. Your agenda is not just your own and it's not just the individual's actually it's predominantly the the organization you're all working for and that has actually enabling you to even be there in many ways yeah. you wouldn't be there if that organization didn't exist so there's always that slightly complex relationship isn't there and I think HR is is definitely that one part of the business which I think can often get very much I think stuck in the middle of a lot of things and is there to be an enabler 100% and for the most part absolutely is um but I can I can imagine there can often be that conflict there around wanting to absolutely look after people and support them, but ultimately drive the agenda and the objective of the business. And I think that's quite a challenge at times. Um, yeah, I mean, I am aware when I'm, when I'm coaching people that they are part of a number of systems. So they're part of their organisation. They've got their family system and, and that may be fragmented in it, you know, in, it, in itself or, you know, you have got your immediate family, mm. so your extended family, there might be sports teams or, you know, all sorts of different systems. So I do bring that lens into the one-to-one -one coaching, but with, with the coaching training, that kind of came out of the fact that as a coach myself, I can only coach a certain number of individuals, you know, in my lifetime or, you know, each day or each year. And I feel that 
I was really lucky to come across coaching. And at, at that time, 10 years ago, it was only because I was in HR that I was aware of it. And I think coaching yeah. is become much more mainstream now and, 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 and will become more and more so. Um, you know, particularly for HR, HR is a helping profession, but all, mm. all people managers, you know, who actually are wanting to do, you know, their best and are balancing, you know, the needs of their team with the, the, the demands of the organisation or their bosses cascaded down. And, you know, how do they look after their own well-being and, and that of those people around them? So the, the reason that we are training other coaches is so that we can kind of, you know, create more ripples in the pond. And, um, you know, not everybody that comes on the training wants to go and be a freelance coach. There are people that are working in change management or actually they just want to, they want to be an even greater people manager. So they want to, you know, increase their own self-awareness and also their awareness of other people and what happens in relationship with others. So... I think it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that's how I came across coaching initially was actually to enhance my leadership skills. And I know when I was coached, for me, it was the missing tool that all manager and leaders uh, didn't have that I was familiar with in their toolkit. And I was thinking, this is transformational for leadership. This is this is what this is going to turn the dial. I'm I'm pulling out so many bullshit bingos now. This turn the it. dial. We should add that to the bullshit bingo list. Um, <laughs> Oh God, I am like. I'm sure walking... I ticked a few off for you this morning. <laughs> you, you did use the word pivot, Joe, and I didn't hold it against it. Um, we did use pivot in the first season. Um, I think what I can hear so strongly through everything you're saying is your purpose and your passion. And even then, you're talking about the ripple effect. So you yourself, uh, you know, wanted to help and support individuals to have a better life through your personal coaching. And actually you've taken and evolved that to something even bigger with the training to actually enable people, uh, you know, more people to actually be able to coach themselves and, and share this incredible tool. Uh, how important do you think having a purpose, a really clear, strong purpose is to a successful transition? Yeah, it's massive. Um, it's huge. And I, you know, I think, there are lots of people that train as coaches that don't necessarily manage to, you know, to make it like their full time, let's say, replace their kind of previous income, you know, or to grow that. And Zoe and I have often sat down and, and you know, thought, what is it? And I think it's tenacity, you know, um, like, because who were we to think that we could train other coaches? Like, you know, that is like, it's hard to go back into that place, because even now, when I look back at it, I think, wow like <laughs> that was quite bold um but it was purpose-led mm. yeah it, it really was because you know having worked in a number of organizations and there's lots of good things you know in in organizations and you know I've been supported in organizations and so on but you do you know I have seen in every organization that I've worked in there have been times when I've been really shocked at the way that people have been treated like human being to human being, like we spend most of our time at work. And I personally just believe that it's, it's a human right really to, to be treated with compassion. Um, mm -hmm. 
for us to rec you know for us to rec I also recognize that people are doing the best that they can with the resources or in the situation that they're in but what I would like to do is be part of supporting people to do even better because they've got more resources um so that because a lot of what happens I think is conflict mm -hmm. and you know there's internal conflict in an individual's own mind um, but then there's also the conflict that they experience in the workplace and we know you know different teams have different agendas and mm. you know actually you know if you look at um, you know like with the mental health first aid training for example and the statistics that you know that they give you well everybody has mental health everybody and you know some days each of us like we're having a great day but then even moment to moment or hour to hour we can change the way that we feel and you know how do we how do yeah how do we create those those safe spaces for people so purpose is yeah very much I you know I, I, I feel it um that purpose and um it's the kind of thing I'd walk over you know hot coals for mm. um that's the way I guess I would describe that but I think everybody has a purpose. Some people struggle to find it and that's what they yeah. come coaching for mm. because they will sort of listen to other people or see other people and they'll think, well, they really, they have this thing, this key and I, you know, I want it. And, you know, that leads on to very interesting conversations. Mm. I think as well, like in my experience of working in a big organisation, when you have a very clear individual purpose um or if you don't actually as well you can get so easily um blinded by an organizational's purpose or mission statement or um mm. strategy whatever you want to call it I suppose that um makes you jump up and, and I, hopefully <laughs> and out of bed and and go to work every day and in some ways the longer you work in that organization in my experience anyway that kind of like becomes um a part of your own purpose and I think until you perhaps spend a bit of time working on yourself and reflecting on you as a person you don't often know that actually that can be different that isn't necessarily what your own purpose is and I know that from you know transitioning myself from working in sales to now working for myself as a coach mm -hmm. I think I became a little bit like molded in the fact that I thought my purpose was something but actually now when I come I've come out of it I've had the opportunity to do some work on myself actually it's a bit different to what I actually thought it was back working in that organization mm -hmm. Mm. And, and I think as well, everyone changes. So as, yeah. as Joe, as you said, actually, we're transitioning all the time. And it's, it, it's not about size. I think sometimes these big words like transition, it, <laughs> they, they themselves seem to dictate something big. And actually, it's, it doesn't have to be. And every day, you may go through some sort of evolution or change. Maybe you don't actually, but you know, especially over a period of time when you've been working, it's natural that actually your priorities will change and because you change as you experience different things and life happens, you know, having children is a, is a massive change and absolutely I think can change your perspective and therefore change, you know, what you're wanting and even your purpose to some extent. And I think actually taking time sometimes just to take stock and recognise like where have I been, what have I done, you know what's important to me right now where do I want to go next can be really helpful just to just to ground yourself in that moment and be clear about you know what you're doing and why I think COVID's obviously been quite a you know, big when do you get fired up 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think sometimes it's it's stopping to like listen to your your body. You know, like you described your uh, you know that purpose is really strong for you. I mean, when you talk about it, I can see it. I feel it because <laughs> the way you come to life on the screen here, and you can get you get impassioned in just yeah. talking about it, which is you know energy breeds energy for me so I kind of like get excited as well and um, I think you can feel that really physically and I think it's understanding yourself to know what it means and, and what it's about and where it comes from because I think it's only when you're in tune with yourself um, that you can really start identifying well what does that mean yeah. and you know is that a good thing is that is that a signal for me and I know that um, y- you um, joke particularly like Susan David who I do as well Dr Susan David and 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 actually shared with me in your your biog one of her Mm. quotes that I absolutely love which is you know emotions are data and they're you know it's about what do you um what do you choose what do you choose to understand about what they're telling you how do you interpret the data and it's a signal um which I am totally fascinated by I've mentioned her on our podcast before um but I think it's until you start tuning into yourself you don't necessarily know that those are those things are there um I don't think it's necessarily encouraged at school either no no there's a lot of compliance Mm. uh, you know it's more of like more of like a one-size-fits-all approach because Mm. of the numbers which I understand but then you know if you transition from that whatever route into then you know your 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 job and you're Mm. told you know you you do your role when do you have the space and the freedom as well so I suppose the other thing about you know what can I do differently in my own business is I can do whatever I want (laughs) really (laughs) ah the Um, beauty of being your own boss yeah (laughs) yeah so but it's it's still in partnership with um you know the people that I'm excited to work with Mm. so um I mean I love I love to me, what I do now, I'm still part, I'm still a member of the CIPD, you know, I'm still part of the HR profession. I'm now just more in the L&D side of it, so more of the specialist side of it. And I did actually go into a HR, into an, a head of L&D role um, only a few years ago um, to help an organisation with their coaching culture Um and, you know, that was great because sometimes when you've been in your own business and out of the corporate world for a long time, I think it's hard mm. to remember the intensity oh. of the emotions that you feel when you mm. are in the workplace, you know, good and, you know, and those that perhaps, you know, when people are feeling a bit more stuck or, um, you know, less happy about things. And, and that was really great. And it really gave me a lot more confidence as well about what I do and how I do it. So I'm really grateful for that and that was when I was supporting my husband through his transition yeah so we've we've talked a bit um uh, about transitions in the sense of career transitions and and you know the the transition that you made from HR to coach and actually the transition of then having your own business with your with your best friend in good company in terms of other transitions that you've noticed especially in this past 12 months with covid what what sort of themes have you seen and uh, through your clients and, and those that you worked with yeah um one client that comes immediately to mind is a client who worked for an ngo and was in africa and so through the course of the year that i supported her moved countries got a new job got pregnant 
um like wow. all within the school okay. yeah months. And, and goodness you know, it was an emotional roller coaster um you know for her trying to you know trying to understand what is the right decision but not only what is the right decision for me and my family but also how do I do this in a way that you know how do I cope with it all but then also how do I do it in a way that I can really feel proud of and and comfortable with so a lot of work you know over the last 12 months has been focused around emotional well-being emotional resilience yes. um people trying to ba- you know, balance as well as a big part of it people really wanting to contribute in their roles but also trying to juggle all of the other things that people have needed to juggle I think the pandemic has also got people to think am I doing with my life what I really want to do with my life because when you're faced you know when we think back to the start of this and none of us knew where this was going to go we didn't have the the benefit of knowing there was going to be a vaccine that touch wood, you know, is, is making a difference. And we don't know what's to come beyond this either. So mm. I think it really has triggered people to think about their mortality more than perhaps they would on a, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, for those people that are in roles where they've thought, you know, I've been doing this for too long. Um, I don't think I've found, you know, like my thing yet. I want something different for my life. I mean, the jobs market is quite buoyant. Mm. So even though there's been a lot of insecurity and, you know, a lot of people furloughed as well. So obviously there's different pockets, um, but it's, but it's quite buoyant. So people haven't been frightened to make the move. They have still been doing it, but what they need, what they want to know is like, what's my, you know, what's my purpose, but what's the legacy I want to create? What's my roadmap? How do I, how do I make those decisions for me? So there's been a lot of work around that, that is actually, you know, it's not, that's not easy work. And, you know, I want to work with people that are, you know, highly qualified, they're leaders. They can do the day job, the practical stuff, no problem. It's, it's the, you know, it's this, it's the psychological stuff. It's the conversations that they have in their head that they really need help with as I do. So even though, you know, okay, I have the coaching training, which for me, I describe it as being like a weeble. So of course I still am influenced by the things that happen in my life, but I don't, I don't have that worry as a result. I think of all the different coaching trainings that I've done. I don't worry that I'm going to like fall down and not be able to get up from an emotional well-being. Um, perspective and I really value the supervision that I have I value you know coaching I value spending time with other coaches you know like you two like you know other people in my life that that really resource me because it connects me into like this idea of you know the world is filled with people that really want to support and you know encourage each other and that's the world that I love to be part of and contribute to yeah I love the analogy of a weeble (laughs) <laughs> I I can totally relate to that and I think and, and I I and, and absolutely the psychological side of all of this because I can be my work my worst critic and we talk a lot about self-talk on this podcast because it can be so debilitating uh, and yet also have the power to be the opposite it can propel so it but it's about how do you manage that because at the end of the day 
we are human, we are flawed, we have a multitude of emotions, we're complex. And you can actually have one day where you can completely go the whole full spectrum. And that's okay. <laughs> it's just about recognising it and then knowing how you can best support yourself. And actually, something I thought of when you were talking about the, the buoyancy of the job market and how COVID has in lots been a big trigger for many things and a trigger for transitions I think absolutely whether it be in the home in the way in which things are done because we've spent so much time there that actually it's given many people the opportunity to reflect and review and go well how does this work and how do I want it to work and how can um, I get more of what I want actually something you know we talked about purpose propelling you forwards but actually the other thing that can really push you is what you want to move away from and and I think that in, at times can be an even stronger feeling when you're really clear about, I don't want any more of this. I want to get away from this. And, and I think that can be a really interesting perspective to look at transitions from as well. Because I, I know you mentioned at the start, you know, about saying goodbye to things yeah. and, and honouring the past. Because mm. um, you also work in, with grief as well. Joe, yeah. um, can you talk yeah. to us a little bit about that in the work that you do and the work in transitions, how grief plays a yeah. part in that? Yeah, so, I mean, I've always been, in fasc- you know, looking back, I can realise that I've always been fascinated by death and, you know, and endings. I remember as a young child, I would, you know, I'd come up late at night and I'd be upset and I'd say to my parents, where does the world end? where does the world end and they couldn't really answer the question and and then I would you know have this fear around but if we if we don't know that how can we know anything and um so I can see you know where 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 these I've just always had that kind of innate curiosity but what I I look for patterns in my work like as part of my own review around how am I showing up for my clients and and you know as we've been talking about like what is happening out in society like what's happening in humanity what are the things that we're helping with and and I just felt that I noticed with all of my clients that they struggled with endings I don't think that we are again I don't think that we are taught about how to end well or Mm. even all of the different endings that we have so there are um there's tangible endings but there's also intangible endings if you think about covid it's like loss of health security so you Mm. go well i'm a pretty healthy person to well maybe i'm you know i'm not or you know all of those things so i noticed the pattern i wanted to do some training around it because i thought yes i've got tools but what else is out there that could help me to help my clients and i've been looking at there isn't much out there essentially um so I'd been looking at the grief recovery methods and so I, I trained in that a few years ago and then um did the advanced training to be to be able to do it online um probably about 12 or 18 months ago now and I use the principles of of it a lot so there's a there's a book you can buy it's only like 10 pounds on the website it's got the whole pro like seven session program in it and the and the origins of it, it talks about um, the myths talks about what grief is talks about the myths of it so you know people say oh like time is a healer well time is not a healer on its own it's what you do with that time that enables you to heal mm. um, you know uh, grieve alone so I, would, I I'm the type of person that I don't think I was taught that 
but that is kind of probably where I would go to. So if I experience, when I experience like a significant loss, I, I tend to, you know, think and process it myself before I then, um, you know, come up. But the, pro- but the program is really helpful because it gets you talking about it. And I think losses are still very secret. Mm-hmm. And I think in a, in a way, what we do as coaches is like, we have these secrets with our clients because it's confidential. There's like this bubble. But on the other hand, what happens in those coaching conversations is it's kind of relieving clients of the secrets. You know, how many times you hear, I've never told anyone this, mm. but mm. Um, situation and they don't have to carry it um, then anymore and replace the loss. So, you know, when people say, oh, don't worry, you can get another dog. Or, oh, don't worry, you'll get another job. But actually, where the person is right there and then, that's not usually what they want to hear. Of course, they know, like, logically, they could get another job or they could get another other dog. So it's intellectually factual, but emotionally useless mm. um, to them at that point in time. And it talks about um, the grief recovery method talks about um like what people do to cope, they call it disturbed short-term energy releasing behaviors. So, um, you know, some people like to shop and then they'll, they'll shop lo- you know, loads more. They like to, they like to, to, you know, they're a gamer, but then they, they'll sort of overdo it to try, you know, as a distraction. Mm-hmm. But the method is just, what I like about it is, is just step-by-step, you share yours as the facilitator, your heart with ears and you guide them through. There's a lot of timelines in it. So looking at, what's your relationship with loss? So your loss history graph, you never, no one, you know, I'd never done it before. And it could be everything from, you know, your brother breaking your favorite toy as a child, which actually could still be quite a big thing for somebody. You know, you might've had a childhood friend who died, could be, you know, your first serious relationship breaking down, you know, it could all sorts of different things. And then you choose an, an individual, a relationship and you do a relationship history graph. And these graphs have positive and um, and negative memories because no relationship is you know wonderful all of the time, and that's the reality in workplaces as well. Mm. Like it's not about everything must be amazing and perfect for everybody all of the time because, as you mentioned earlier, like life is complex, but it is about um, being able to acknowledge some of these things. So, and and, and there's a letter. There's, there's a whole process um, within it, but it's about giving somebody. The opportunity to really I think make full contact with their experience is the way that I would probably describe it it sounds uh, fascinating so this is the grief recovery method yeah the grief recovery method it was set up okay. by a lady called Carol Henderson um the, the UK side of it is actually it's it's an it's American it's um it's evidence-based it's researched um but uh, so I use the principles of it mm. in my day-to-day work with with mm. clients and they're always really relieved to have their loss acknowledged mm. yeah absolutely I think it's so interesting what you said about it's like a secret mm. I think I do think people because I think we have this view of emotion and we box them between being positive or negative um and then we label them in the way that we do and I think there is this growing discomfort with sharing negative um, in terms of what is traditionally labelled as such. And I do think grief and loss fall into that, you know, wrongly. So I think it becomes this space of, you know, don't bring people down, don't share the 
the, the negative. And especially because I think we have an obsession with wanting to fix things. And yeah. so I think you, that's where that, that kind of gaslighting response comes we in, had, which is, we'll, yeah. we'll make this better. Like you said, like you can just buy another dog. So you just dismiss the emotion yeah. rather than allow people to like feel it and to process it. it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you an example. So last week we had, we had an adopted hamster. I've never had a hamster before, but we adopted, adopted it. hamster. Yeah, we adopted it from the neighbours. Um, who, who who. So well, we fell in love with this hamster, um, and sadly, a couple of weeks ago, the hamster the hamster died, and we were all upset. Although all four of us, um, so my two boys, are seven and eleven, and my husband, and then I said that the emotions wheel. So I shared a post about the emotions wheel on LinkedIn and it went crazy. Um, oh, I think I saw it. Yeah. 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 So it, you've got three, um, three rings of emotions. So most people, if you ask them to name and emo- name emotions, they'll probably be able to name about seven. Um, but when you look at the wheel, you're like, well, there's about 50 different ones. So I said to the boy, to my boys, because I could see that they were like, you know, when you feel really emotional, it's like, you're almost about to burst with emotion, but you cannot for the life of you p- think about what you're feeling. It's yeah. you're, you're sort of, you're numb. So I said, do you want to go and look at the emotions wheel? Cause we've put one up, my youngest wanted this up in his room. So we went in there and they went through it. So he started in the middle, which has got happy, surprised, bad, fearful, angry, disgusted, sad. I said, which of those are you feeling? And they're quite day to day, like ones that people would know. So they both said sad obviously then you go through to the next one so I call it flavor what flavor of sadness do you feel and then it goes through to the outer um line so where they got to is my seven-year-old said he it came out I said he he felt abandoned and they said but mummy it's not for me to feel abandoned it's for Tibbles the hamster to feel abandoned and I said well you can also feel you know it's okay for you to feel abandoned you know because that that's how you feel and my my 11 year old it came out when he followed the track so he went down sad depressed and then out to empty now they wouldn't have found those words on their own mm. but when I, I said is that how you feel and they were that, that you could see that it was exact really articulated what they felt and once they're able to articulate how they feel then we talked about you know what did they need what did that emotion need in order to kind of like be released and say we did a lovely sort of activity afterwards around that but so and I think it's the same you know adults I use this with adults a lot as well and it's just that sometimes we think we know what we're feeling but it's actually it's a racket feeling it's like it's like covering the authentic emotion that's underneath so if Mm. we act in a way where we want to get it's as if we want this to be solved and then we like why I still I don't feel any better I feel the same because they haven't yet probably identified the authentic emotion. So yeah, um, if you Google feelings wheel, mm. um, like any of the listeners, you'll be it'll bring up loads and loads of different variations. My understanding is it's it's derived from Robert Pluchnik's work that was a bit more complicated. But the, this feelings wheel is very easy um, to be able to use. And imagine how conversations in the workplace would change yeah. if we had simple tools like that. Yeah, absolutely. How people, like you say, articulate those feelings and emotions that they're experiencing. What a fascinating tool. That's yeah. My That's favourite tools are simple tools. Like I love the things that are simple. Me yeah. too. That actually catalyze, you know, conversation and um, and and connection. And I think 
for me, it's like I create learning environments and I approach the conversations I have with a learning mindset. You know, I'm always thinking about what am I learning here? So I'm thinking while we're talking, what am I learning about myself, about you guys, about, you know, our purpose? I'll think afterwards about that. And that will be part of my kind of continued transition and growth as a as a person and as a as a coach. Thank you so much for sharing all of that, Joe. That was absolutely fascinating. We will share the links to the both of those Uh, resources that you shared just then in respect of the the grief recovery method on the show notes for the podcast um so just to like conclude this discussion then around transitions um could you share with us your sort of top three tips or recommendations for individuals to manage transitions effectively i guess number one would be about acknowledging that you're going through a transition you know what is it that you are you know what is it that you are you know moving on from and what are you know what are you honoring about that so that's like the positive and the negatives for you because that's Mm. part of your reality and identifying what is it that you are moving towards to to let that in and as you mentioned earlier like you get what you focus on so you want to make sure that you are future focused Um, rather than you know still looking over your shoulder I think that's where people can get hooked onto things secondly I think it's important that you talk about it so firstly acknowledge it secondly talk about it now that could be with your manager at work Um, it could be with a coach it could be with a family member or it could be with a friend Um, I think ideally it, it wouldn't be somebody that would collude with you I think that's the thing with friends is you know when you say like oh it's really bad I can't wait to leave it and friend goes yeah good riddance to them not that kind of a conversation but somebody that you know that would just be able to kind of like hold you in that space and say you know what is it that actually you're going to take forward with you from it what have you learned from it how is it how has it helped you to take this next step forward you know those those kind of things um and thirdly I guess would be off the top of my head would be to like celebrate the steps you know sometimes we we forget to just stop and celebrate what we've achieved so even like doing rituals and I know you know people might laugh about it but at the moment there may be people in the workplace whose organizations have decided that actually the offices are not going to be open moving forward and people are going to be you know working from home so come and collect the rest of your things and you know how wonderful it is that you get to work from home and for some people that will be fantastic and for others that won't be and that'll be a pretty pretty scary thought but kind of just going into that space and actually being able to you know almost like process all of the memories that you've got in that space and you know even if you can like to just almost say out loud thank you or or something to you know to acknowledge that to be able to move on can make a huge difference to people so yeah so celebrating you know celebrating that you know welcoming the you know the new the new piece um I think would be my third as three simple three simple things that you can do 
Brilliant. That's great. Thank you so much, Joe. Well, we've absolutely loved having you with us this morning. And as I said, it, it is an absolute privilege, privilege for you to be here sharing your personal experience, your insights and your teachings. Um, I too will go away and reflect on what I've learned from this situation. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, so for all of our listeners, if you want to learn more about Joe and her coaching qualification offerings, you can visit uh, www igcompany.co.uk and also find uh, Joe and her partners uh, group the coaching crowd on Facebook it's now time for this week's listener question this is where you the listener send us your workplace dilemmas or questions and we try and answer them and offer some suggestions our question this week is from Dominic in Ascot Hi Lisa and Susie, this is Dominic from Ascot. Please can I have your tips and advice on how to grow commitment from a young part-time team of people? Thanks. So quite a tough one this week, Mm. I think, Suze. So what are your initial thoughts on this? Yeah, good question, Dominic. Thanks for sending in. Um, I don't think we've had a question like this before. No. Um, So this is a really good one to uh, explore. So I think around, you know, growing commitment from um, a young group of part-time workers, you know, can be challenging because it's not necessarily their primary or permanent career. So if they, I don't know what um, type of business you work in, but um, depending on what that is, it may be that they're, um, you know, coming into work as a bit of a stopgap to help them uh, generate an income whilst they're focusing in on something else. That tends to be what um, the situation is with, especially kind of part-time younger people, especially at the moment with kind of everything so up in the air. So um, one of the things I would suggest is um, if you can create the the time and the capacity to do this is when you are either recruiting your your part-time members of staff or if when you are onboarding them and working with them in just kind of your general conversations is really asking them some questions and trying to find out some of the things that they are interested in in terms of their um, kind of working remit. So let's just simplify things. So let's say, for example, somebody is working uh, in your organisation part-time, but actually their sole kind of career or where they're trying to get to is, say, for example, to work in the entertainment industry. Um, Try and find out a little bit more about um, what it is that they specialise in what it is that they enjoy doing um, by just asking them loads of questions to try and delve and understand a little bit more of that. So say, for example, they reveal that actually they're really into, um, I don't know, social media campaigns and how that builds on um, platforms such as Instagram or Facebook. Um, What you could then do with that information is think about how you tap into those things that they're really interested in or they're really good at and have skills for in your working capacity in in terms of the way that you work with them so say it is about social media ask them um, to have a think about some ideas that they would do in terms of um, activating your own social media campaigns or how you bring something to life on Instagram um, so that you're getting them involved and creating that commitment indirectly Um, so because I think if you force it on them if they are in that situation where this isn't their permanent career option they're probably likely to 
be like, no, actually, I'm, I'm good. I'm not really that interested. But I think if you tap into what they are interested in or what they have a skill set in and try and utilize that in either their actual job role or in a broader remit within the organization, it's a great way of growing and driving commitment with that other person. So that would probably be um, my uh, advice for you. Thanks, Susie. I think that's a great one in terms of tapping into their motivations, what's, what's interesting for them. I think my builds on that would be, there's two things. I think one, enabling them to recognize the responsibility of their role. It, just because it's part-time doesn't mean it's not important. Absolutely. And, and I think it that's a misconception often people have especially as you say in roles where they have specifically chosen part-time because it complements or works with their other priorities but I think it's enabling them to see how critical their job role is giving them responsibility so that actually they can see the importance they can see how they're contributing and how them being there is supporting the business and that they've got responsibility to that because that generates, I think, an element of loyalty. I think the other part to help build that loyalty and therefore commitment is the relationship you have with them. Because I think it's very easy for individuals to dismiss jobs and employers if they don't really care about them. Yeah. And I think the more that you build and it, you know, really establish a strong relationship with the individual through how you get to know them, how you show a genuine interest in them, how you, you know, get the balance right and that you actually support them both in their growth, like Susie's just advised, as well as how you support them in the job you're giving them and care for their well-being in that job, the more they'll care back because mm-hmm. there's that respect being built there too. And actually that in itself shows that we're in a partnership. So that helps yeah. build loyalty. If those of you who are listening have your own thoughts on this and would like to share, or you have a question for us to answer, please get in touch. You can email us at hello at thecoachingcast.co.uk or you can send us a message on Instagram at thecoachingcast. So it's now time for Bullshit Bingo, where we call out phrases which get commonly used in the workplace, which make us cringe. Today's Bullshit Bingo is... Think outside of the box, which I'm just, I'm just going to leave that one there. I'm not going to ever explain this one. So, Suze, what are your thoughts about this week's bullshit bingo? What's that song? Little box, big box, cardboard box. Is that how it's? it's uh, big, big fish, little fish, cardboard box. That's it. it. That's yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. Big, <laughs> you raver. Big fish, little fish, cardboard box. Yeah, big fish, little fish. Uh, for those of you listening, we are demonstrating this through hand movements on screen. Watch our YouTube channel to see it in its full glory. Um, No glow sticks, sadly. Although I think every week I threaten to bring some glow sticks in. Because last week, was it last week? We were going techno, techno, techno. Yeah, because of your your, um, above and beyond tune. Yeah, yeah. So think outside of the box. (laughs) So I know the last couple of bullshit fingers we've had, we've literally been like everywhere. We think we take these two literally, but I can't help it. It's... (laughs) It's just too good like, to not do that. So think outside of the box. So I'm going to have to put my hand up. I've definitely used this. 100%. I have definitely used this as well. I'm going to call it. This. It's a bullshit bingo that I've used and will probably continue to use at some point. Um, but when you sit and actually think about it, it is a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> think outside of the box. 
Um, it also cracks me up because uh, my little boy loves sitting in boxes. <laughs> so when I when I heard this as being one of our bullshit bingos, uh, immediately I just kept thinking about him sitting in a box. <laughs> Not a cardboard box, like one of them tray boxes, just to be clear. Yeah, I, I think this one for me, or like it is very much a kind of, guys, we need to get together. Yeah. We need to come up with some new ideas. I need you new all ideas. to like think outside of the box, man. Like, come on, people, brainstorm. Let's have a brainstorm, everyone. Brainstorm. How are we going to think outside of the box? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's a funny one. We're coming to the end of today's episode where we've been speaking with EMCC Coach of the Year, Joanne Wheatley, about transitions and about how best to manage these effectively. Joanne's top tips from today for you to try are, number one, acknowledge your transition. What are you moving away from? What are you saying goodbye to? And what are you moving towards? Remembering as per Joe's quote, you get what you focus on. Number two is talk about it, but talk about it with an individual who you've purposefully selected, who you know can be objective. So for example, that may not be your best friend. And then the third thing is celebrate, which we talk about often, celebrate. So Celebrate what you're saying goodbye to and honour it in respect of the experience, the growth it's given you. And then celebrate what you're going towards next and acknowledge the steps that you're taking to achieve what you want. So actually even think about how can you celebrate each of those individual steps. As well as our top tips from Joe, we've got some questions that may help to support you with your transition um, that you're going through. Those are number one, how could you be thinking about this transition differently? So this builds on Joe's tip around you get what you focus on. So think about how you're thinking about this particular transition and how that may be affecting you and how you could think about it differently to get exactly what you want. Number two is what could support you with this transition? And who could support you in the transition? And then the third question is, what is the outcome that you want to achieve from the transition? So what does this look like, feel like, and sound like? Really immerse yourself in that outcome. We really hope you enjoyed today and have some new ideas to take away and try for yourselves. If you have any questions, thoughts or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at hello at thecoachingcast.co.uk or on Instagram at thecoachingcast. Your support means everything. Therefore, if you like what you've heard, then please give us a follow on Instagram at thecoachingcast. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and most importantly, subscribe to future episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts and also on YouTube by searching The Coaching Cast. Our episode next week features a special guest as well. We've got Richard Duff, previous CEO of Navarino Services Limited, specialist hotel representation business, operating with 850 independent hotels across 21 markets, discussing what leadership actually means. And Richard's going to be talking about that with us, sharing his own personal examples and bringing to to life some of those really um, common leadership anecdotes that we all know, love and possibly 
hate. <laughs> um, so tune in. That will be a great episode with Richard. Um, Susie and I both love music, as those of you who've been listening to us regularly know, and we use it to motivate and energize us. So we like to finish each episode of the coaching cast with our personal song recommendation to give you positivity and energy as you launch into that next Zoom meeting. It's my choice this week, and mine is an old favorite by Arcade Fire, which is Everything Now. Thanks very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed today. Have a great week. And remember, you've got this. Thank you.